0: Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends nine nineteen. No refunds. Subscription auto renews. The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. Relax on sun-kissed beaches with cleaner sands and fewer crowds. Experience the original. The one. The only. The Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com. All oh, the rest. Tillakaratne Dilshan would walk slightly across the stumps. Then he'd plant his left leg forward and adopt a prayer or sweep shot position. He'd follow this by laying his bat out, as if he was sacrificing it to some kind of god. Then, as the ball comes towards him, he would bow his head further, tucking his exposed neck behind the helmet, and then with his hands, push the bat up. So it hit the ball straight through the gap that he had just created with his head. He would do this to Mitchell Johnson, Mitchell Stark, really all the Mitchells, pretty much anyone he wanted to hit over the wicketkeeper's head. The dill scoop was added to the weird world of cricket vocabulary. The only thing sillier than the word was the shot. That's one forty-four k's. And it's not over fine leg. It's actually over about first slip and twenty rows back. That's brave. Skillful. I think a little bit of stupidity I was involved there. Say, definitely some stupidity in that. I would say a lot. But uh, what a risk to take and pay off for you. Welcome to Double Century. I'm Jared Kimber, your narrator, and a few years ago, I wrote a book called Test Cricket: The Unauthorized Biography. So this is a podcast series on the history of cricket through the people and moments that made the game. This episode is a look at how batting went from offside only to backwards and behind the head. As you read cricket history, you have this visual thing unfolding before you. Every now and again you come across a new story where you realise a whole part of the field is being opened up. For instance, it wasn't seen as proper cricket to hit the ball from off to the leg side for much of the 1800s. Some did, because missits go there and Batting wasn't as science as it is these days. It was more random people picking up a bat and trying their best. Obviously, balls were hit to the leg side when they were too straight. But many gentlemen didn't like putting the ball to leg at all. And the professionals didn't want to upset their, well, paymasters. Even when balls went to leg, the shots were often very crude. They gave the bowlers a chance as the pitches were terrible And it made sense to attack the stumps with uneven bounce and frequent sideways movement. Batsmen respected the lines given to them and played accordingly. And you have to picture the entire game. Before WG Grace, batsmen either played all their shots from the front or back foot. It was Grace who mastered moving back or forward because of the length of the ball. Cricket was basic. Even if you're a struggling cricketer in this day and age, chances are you were probably better than a few first-class players back in that era. This was a sport being invented. And after Grace changed the way we played length, another man came in. He was known as Colonel H.H. Sri Sir Ranjasini, Vihabi Jam Sahab of Nawangar, G.C.S.I. G.B.E., but more famously as Ranji. Neville Cardis called him the Midsummer's Night Dream of Cricket, which I believe means he was operated by fairies, if I remember my Shakespeare correctly. Ranji was once Chancellor of the Indian Chamber of Princes, and he represented India at the League of Nations. Ranji also went to the Rajkumar College for Princes. He was like a much cooler and probably far less whiny Harry Potter. Ranji was wristy. In fact, it was probably Ranji where this fetish about Asian cricket wrists began. Take this from Simon Wilde's book, The Strange Genius of Ranjicini. Ranji has the most disdainful flick of the wrists, and he could exasperate some of England's finest bowlers. The most rapid sweep of the arms, and the ball was charmed to any part of the field he chose as though he had in his hands not a bat, but a wizard's wand. Again, Harry Potter stuff here. When he arrived at Cambridge, he started calling himself Prince Ranjicini, even though he wasn't one. But he had one problem he couldn't overcome with his name or upbringing. He was scared of the ball. So his coach, Dan Haywood, trained Ranji by tying his right leg to the ground. This one coaching technique changed cricket forever. And I think it's important to stop there and think about this. To this day, people still say cricket coaches are overrated. They don't have much of an impact. It's obviously nonsense now, and it was nonsense over a 100 years ago. Not that I suggest you should start tying young boys to the ground. That's probably not ideal. By tying him to the ground, it meant that Ranji had to develop another skill for the ball coming straight at him. And he did. The leg glance. Bowlers who went two straight could now be milked. And just like that, a game where players hit to one side of the wicket suddenly had two. Ranji would use that shot to score 24,962 first-class runs at an average of 56. In tests, he averaged 44. He played for England, which, as much as anything, speaks to the very weird racial background that cricketers had. Just think about this, an Indian man played for England in the 1800s. American sports wouldn't be integrated for a long time afterwards. So Ranji was that good that England didn't care where he was from. The next person to change where the ball was hit was Victor Trumper. Sadly, I think the best way to explain Trumper is probably not in a cricket sense. Generally, he's talked about artistically, but it always starts with aesthetics when we're talking about Trumper because of that photo. Hands raised behind him, bat near his head, front leg charging down the wicket, looking like he's not just about to hit a cricket ball, but maybe decapitate an alien on its way towards him. In some of the other photos taken of Trumper, The ball is way outside off-stump, but Trump's bat face is closed. He's dragging the ball to leg side from well outside off-stump. Batting was changing, the pitches were getting better, and people were perfecting Grace's method. But batsmen still generally hit the ball based on where you should. A ball outside off-stump would be hit to off. A straight ball straight and one down leg was hit there. Players did hit across the line. But it wasn't part of their overall plan. And they didn't do it, well, like Trumper did. He could repeat it safely. And that meant that a ball on the stumps became his strength. Think about how many fielders teams have on the leg side. That's where the gaps are. And so his scoring rate was incredible. Making hundred before lunch on day one, all that kind of razzle dazzle batting that he became known for. This was also revolutionary at the time. In one game where England bowled wide of off-stump to curb him, they were seen as playing against the spirit of the game. Trumper didn't invent hitting to leg, but he basically perfected it, and that changed the game so much that eventually we'd have the channel outside off-stump. The stumps were no longer the automatic place where bowlers would attack. It was Trumper's ability to score on sticky dog wickets and bat very fast on all pitches that turned him into a legend. There were nine players from 1900 to 1910 who averaged more than Trumper, some averaging a lot more in Test cricket. And yet those players aren't remembered to this day. Trumper is. Next time you see a batsman like Kevin Peterson or Viv Richards charge across his stumps, flick the ball effortlessly to the leg side, that's Trumper. It's probably worth mentioning two other men, William Yardley and Walter Reed. Yardley was an ambidextrous cricketer who tried two switch hits of some kind in 1870 for Kent against Surrey. He almost killed the poor silly point, though he had warned him he was about to change his stance. Ranji, according to CB Fry, said that Walter Reed of Surrey had some kind of switch hit as well. But if these shots were real, they certainly didn't catch on. Reverse sweeps don't quite fit the template of hitting the ball to a new part of the field. You could cut a spinner to roughly the same area, but what the reverse did was give a batsman a shot to manipulate a spinner's field from almost any delivery. While it's possible that Dilip Sinji, nephew of Ranji, played something that may have been a reverse sweep, it's kind of more commonly believed that the inventors were one of the Muhammad brothers, either Hanif or Mushtaq, sometime in the 1960s. At that time, it was just about moving the field, but it's become a power shot to the offside. And that's why it's so popular today. A normal field for a spinner does not have a man at deep backward point on the boundary, and with limited boundary options, a reverse sweeper can really cause havoc to a spinner's field. And they were sort of knocking it around nicely. Yeah, I was basically cajoled into it, and Tim was getting hit around the park a bit, so something had to happen it straight away, Mike trying to play with a swing shot. Catches the top edge, hits him on the shoulder and goes straight up in the air. You know, had I left it, it'd have been a wire. Bloody beauty, one for none. Had it not hit my shoulder, it could have gone for three. We could have won the World Cup and then we would have been AB. So we always have a giggle about that. And I never let him forget every time I see him. <laughs> as important as all that is, I wonder if its biggest impact was that it was a shot you had to commit to before you know what the ball would be. Since Grace had read length, batsmen had reacted to what was delivered and tried to handle it as best they could. The reverse sweep is a shot where you make the decision first and then you hope you can pull it off. Really, until there was a need for it, the highest scoring of white ball cricket, it was kept in the background because it was too dangerous. You could see on a wicket where a spinner was dominating, a smart batsman might want to take some pressure off by moving the field and scoring some boundaries. But as Mike Ganning proved in the 1987 World Cup final, if you're dismissed playing a shot this radical, you will be abused for, well, best part of a decade. David Bumble Lloyd once said, It's like Manchester United getting a penalty and Brian Robson taking it with his head. But Ganning's dismissal didn't kill the reverse sweep. And by the 90s, it was in the arsenal of a few players. And what it did was paved the way for other shots where you made your decision before the ball was bowled. So it's McGrath from the River End, really on strike for the first time this summer. Oh he's got it away, good cricket, well what a good start. You're facing McGrath for the first time and he'd 15 off the over, you take a chance, you move across the offside and you chip him away Well certainly it was a big gamble and Glenn McGrath had it pretty well on line I think it had to get to him on the full it hadn't got to him on the full Probably would have just missed off stump, but uh, it is risky because if McGrath produces the Yorker, so he's gone again. He's done it. Think I can win this now? They certainly can win it. Second time he's moved across and chipped. It. This is a guy that hasn't batted this summer. As I say, heroes can be made in this situation, but they're not home yet. Now he's tried it twice and he's got away with it. The question is, does he keep going? Does he go to the well once more? Because McGrath is probably thinking to himself, well. I'm going to avoid the Yorker now. I'm going to pitch a bit shorter. In fact, what they're now doing is pushing the fine leg back and bringing up the mid-on and saying to Marilia, all right, the boundaries now are straight down the ground if you think you're good enough. 2001, Perth. Australia were playing Zimbabwe in an ODI. They scored 302. The Australian bowling attack was Ian Harvey, Brett Lee, Damian Fleming, Nathan Bracken and Glenn McGrath. Zimbabwe weren't expected to get close. An incredible partnership of 187 between Stuart Carlyle and Grant Flower made it fun, but both men fell just as they were getting near the target, meaning Zimbabwe had to rely on their lower order. Glenn McGrath was bowling to the new batsman, a Zimbabwean batsman who hadn't yet faced a ball in the summer, and he now needed to score 15 runs from the final over to win the game. The batsman was Doug Marillier. At this point, he'd left no mark on cricket. McGraw went for an off-stump Yorker. He's slightly overpitched, but at this time in cricket, low-full tosses were still considered very good balls. But the really interesting thing didn't happen with McGrath. It happened with Marillier. He moves across his stumps, and while standing outside off-stump, he leans forward to scoot the ball over short, fine leg. Two balls later, he does it again. Australia move fine leg back, McGrath bowls another Yorker, and he wins the game. But he's not the story. Doug Marillia averaged 18 in one-day international cricket. He was a bits and pieces all-rounder for Zimbabwe briefly. Cricketers like him don't get remembered, or even mentioned decades on. Yet, while the shot is not usually called the Marillia shot now, we quite often call it the scoop or ramp, the fact it once was is remarkable, and that this random Zimbabwean cricketer invented a shot that changed bowler's most sacred weapon, the Yorker, just makes it more bizarre. Weirdly, not long after, it was Glenn McGrath again, perhaps the greatest limited overs bowler of all time, who Mel Loy, a county pro chosen for England, decided to sweep. Perhaps it was just because McGrath had tailored his game so perfectly for one-day bowling, Normal shots didn't count, wouldn't work against him. So players had to try something different. A bit like the reverse sweep, there was actually an earlier precedent for a cricket shot of this kind. Leary Constantine once said that he played a shot over the keeper's head for six. It was from a full toss, and it sounds a bit like a scoop. He said he helped it on its way. But he did play that shot from a slow full toss at his head because he had charged down the wicket at the bowler but that's not a situation that batsmen face very often. Even when you charge down the wicket, if you get a full toss, it's usually not slow, but fast. So you can see why that shot was more of a one-off and how it didn't become a normal part of cricket at that point. Oh, he's done that beautifully. Ryan Campbell. He's moved a mile across his stumps. Pretty good bowling. Always, he always it wide of a stump. Ryan Campbell through a magnificent piece of adaption was able to get it up over the keeper for four have a look how careful he was to watch the ball so he gets his head a little bit out of the way and flips it over fine leg Well, he's done it again just to prove it wasn't a fluke he's done it again and I'll tell you what one bounce into the side screen and that is straight over the keeper's head that's brilliant Nothing a lot wrong with the bowling either. Full and straight. The double bluff. Campbell gives himself some room. Zoyser fires it in. Then he goes the other way. Straight over the keeper's head. Plus the somersault, the finish. I'll give it 10. Backed away. Got the ball he was after. And can tell it went one bounce into the sight screen. That Hit it beautifully. Right out of the middle. <laughs> the next summer, Australian backup wicketkeeper Ryan Campbell was using a similar shot to marillier but a kind of different version. His went finer and was played less like a running upper leg glance and more like an actual ramp. And also, while Murillo's was about targeting short, fine leg, Campbell's was about directly taking the ball behind the wicketkeeper's head, where he knew there would never be a fielder. That's gone over Brad Haddon's head, way over it, and he landed just inside the rope. Amazing shot. Ten-fours and fifty. fifty. <laughs> we have seen it. sweeps, reverse sweeps, switch hits, slog sweeps. That one was just nailed over the keeper's head. Unbelievable, yeah. There's the Dill school Gone for six. Using that pace. There's the starfish. <laughs> I wonder when it was going to turn up tonight. Brilliant. From Dill Here we go. The Dilshan special he's hit that very straight indeed just that it's behind the stumps he's got that ability to hit it straight over the keeper's head I haven't seen anybody else hit it that straight over the keeper's head there it goes and he's done it again right off the middle amazing the consistency and we're right behind it here and it went directly over Cameron MacMiles head the amazing chapel is that he connects every time he tries it. Uh, he's got a 100% record on the shot. Just played it with ease. These two inventions and probably the reverse sweep led to what is the most remarkable shot in cricket, the Scoop, where Dilshan scooped the ball straight over his head from a kneeling sweep position, seemingly sacrificing his head every time he played it. No other player has consistently committed to that dangerous version of the shot. But it's doubtful that others won't go back to it, or at least another version of it. Before Marilia, Campbell and Dilshan, the only way to hit a ball to this part of the field was by edging, glancing or an uppercut to a very short fastball. And even the uppercut has had a modern facelift. Sumi Osaka's periscope shot is basically the finest possible uppercut with a limbo bend. These guys open up the last bit of space on a cricket field, finally giving us the ability to hit anywhere we want. You could add a few others as well to Sumi Osaka's shot. You could add Kevin Peterson's actual switch hit. Still not that popular, but does get pulled out occasionally. Nat Siver has played the Nat Meg, which weirdly is a shot that Trumper and Grace were suggested to have played and that Steve Smith has played. But it's essentially Ranji's leg glance, but out of a power position and through your legs. It seems like batting always had these weird adaptations. It's just that not all of them stayed around. But now there is a reason these shots exist. And I want to take you back to one of the most famous short innings of all time. We all remember Carlos Brathwaite's sixes, all four of them. But before he hit those sixes, a couple of overs earlier, he was struggling to get the ball away and he was getting straight full balls. And this huge man with incredible power, bent down on one knee and did a fine sweep off a fast bowler past short fine leg for four. It's not just that modern batsmen are more powerful or that helmets help them play these shots that the old players just wouldn't have even thought of. It's that players now have the ability to tailor their game to almost any situation. And these skills aren't just T20 skills or one-day skills. You see them in test cricket. In fact, Ben Stokes, who bowled that over to Carlos Brathwaite, used a lot of these skills to defeat Australia in Headingley. With almost every Australian on the boundary, a fourth innings pitch, and an incredible bowling attack. Ben Stokes didn't just use his power, he improvised. He reverse swept Nathan Lyon out of the footmarks for six. That's not what that shot was originally invented for. Then he swept Josh Hazelwood for six. Someone in a test match sweeping a potential Hall of Fame seam bowler. Incredible. But it was Pat Cummins that I thought was the most interesting. At one stage, Cummins was coming around the wicket to cramp him up, and Stokes tried to ramp him. He looked like he'd barely ever played the shot before. There was a bit of confusion, and against Cummins in the final innings of a test when he had to stay in, it just didn't seem like the right time to make it work. But next ball, Cummins went straight at him again, and this time Stokes moved across, he got into the correct position, and he nailed the scoop, and off the middle of his back, he cleared the very fine leg boundary for six. He was an English batsman, playing all these outrageous white ball shots to win an Ashes test. While much of cricket is about Australia and England, there is something great about watching Ben Stokes win an Ashes test by playing this shot. And it's because this isn't just an Australian shot. It was an Indian who found finally. Pakistan who created this new way of batting. And an international effort from Australia, Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe to hit the ball behind. It took hundreds of years and many cricket countries coming together for us to finally open our field up. Now we can hit the ball wherever we want. You have been listening to Double Century, a podcast that came from my book, Test Cricket, The Unauthorised Biography. It is written and narrated by me, Jared Kimber. It's produced by Nick McCorriston. He's great. You should definitely hire him. And my fact-checkers were Bertie Moores and Abhishek Mukherjee. This whole thing was made possible by our supporters on Patreon. So if you can afford to help us out, please do. We're hoping to do many more seasons, but please help us by sharing, reviewing, and supporting us any way that you can. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.